Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear from you today. We, as we are wont to do and as we enjoy, are here to talk a few texts and think about preaching for the 24th Sunday after Pentecost. The time is short, friends, so we're getting ready here at the end of the year. These are the texts for November the 12th, 2023. couple of pretty well-known stories, but there's plenty to think about. What do you got on your mind today, Bubba, as we think about preaching? Well, what we're going to do today is talk about the complimentary text, as they are called. And we will, at the end of the show, talk about the Joshua text, which is a semi-continuous mm-hmm. reading. But the <clears throat> the complimentary text feeding off of Matthew, and the next three Sundays as we end up before Advent are, are mm-hmm. in this Matthew 25, and there are two parables and a vision of the coming of the Son of Man leading into this, and all of this has to do with kind of what sometimes thought of as end times, Second right. coming, day of the Lord, all this image, apocalyptic eschatology, yeah. all these fun words. But basically, it's what's going to happen at the end when the Lord comes to judge. Yep. That's the, the deal. And we don't know for certain where all of you are, what your um, particular situations are in your parish and the surrounding area, but there are quite a few pockets of heightened apocalyptic excitement and or anxiety these days with war once again in the Middle East. Yeah, I, uh, I, was, I like to thumb through YouTube every now and again, just absentmindedly. Mm-hmm. And, and you find several podcasts by someone very authoritatively explaining exactly how exactly. what's going on yeah. in Gaza was predicted by various and sundry Hebrew scripture <laughs> texts and the book of yeah. Revelation. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, I, I, I have never been as sure about anything <laughs> as these people seem to be sure about everything, particularly yeah. everything to do with their interpretation of very obscure apocalyptic stuff. So mm-hmm. we're going well, to try to work on this, and and I want I'm going to come at it sideways to to sort of set up how I view this, how I view mm-hmm. this, and I think it's a a good what I want to talk about. Right. So I'm gonna. Sometimes I find it helps to talk about something else <laughs> than the subject in front of us to get an idea because mm-hmm. we get a little hot about the subject in front of us sometimes. Right. right. So. When I was about 7th, 8th grade, uh, I was somehow, some of my friends that were at church and I got into this discussion over Jonah and the fish, (laughs) or the whale, I think we probably said. You were told it was a whale in those days. Yeah, and um, 
we got into this discussion, and you know, uh, those those of us who took the Bible literally or whatever were just very insistent. Well, if the Bible says it, I believe it. That settles it, kind of thing. Kind of thing. There are others of us who had a more what we thought of as a scientific and empirical point of view. That had to say you can't live in the belly of a whale that long, and the throats to, you can't a whale can fish can't actually swallow you know all of these things that we had decided. And stomach juices yeah, are gonna yeah, just soak you up. Yeah, man. all this stuff. So you know, I was having this discussion down at the barn while we were doing some chores or other with my daddy, and daddy, uh, good high school graduate farmer, regular at church, but not too fairly skeptical half the time and daddy said well son it seems to me that them that believe in the fish or the whale and them that don't are wasting a lot of time arguing about it and in the meantime they're missing the point the point is if God wants you to do something you may as well get with it because he's not (laughs) going to let you out of it and the other point is it don't matter whether you like other people or not. God appears to like whom God chooses to like. Right. Now, I tell you that, that to say, it's the same thing with the end times to me. Yeah. It's, it's one of those speculative things that even the scripture itself says nobody knows the time or the place. And so arguing about the specifics and the details helps us miss the point. To avoid, you know, trying to find exactly when and what's going on and is he coming back and what's happening there. We avoid the point of all these stories, which is if that is going to happen and these writers believe that it is, how should we then live now as we wait for that? What effect does that that is the day of the Lord, the second coming, mm-hmm. whatever we want to refer to it as. What does that reality have to do with us and how we live our lives? That's what these texts are getting at. You got it. And these texts have something to say to us about that. So, yeah, so as, as we talk about it, we need, you know, mm-hmm. we lay aside our own fervent belief in, in when, that or our skepticism that it's mm-hmm. not really going to happen and say, what, what can we learn from this? What can these texts teach us? So, starting with Amos, and we're going to go Amos, Thessalonians, and Matthew, and then at the end we'll talk a little bit about Joshua, as we like to call an escape clause, you know, if you don't really want to deal with any of this. (laughs) So Amos, as we know, 8th century before the Christian era, and he is basically a prophet who challenges what I would call religious complacency. He is one who takes on the people that are saying, well, you know, we go, we, we go to temple and we do the right sacrifices and, you know, we're good people and, and we're, Things we're, are going pretty we're good. members of yeah. the covenant. So, And then when the day of the Lord comes, what's going to happen? You know, of course, is God's going to come and punish those people who aren't like us and is going to fix <laughs> everything. So that's their assumption. Hmm. God's going to come and set things straight, and the assumption is that God will take our side and punish those and reward us. And Amos' basic message is, not so fast, (laughs) y'all. I got something that God told me to tell you. And verses 18 through 20, 
um, reversals and irony here. Um, he says, you think you're going to be, it's going to be great. The day of the Lord's going to be like, well, I'm running from a bear. And then, whoops, <laughs> there's a line. Or did I get that right? Or was it the other way around? A, yeah, running from the line. Run from the line and runs into the bear. The bear yeah. Or walks into a house and puts his hand on the wall, Holt catching his breath. <gasps> and then he gets bit by a snake, et cetera, mm. you know? Mm-mm. The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. So he's saying, get your mind right. You think you're going to get rewarded, but it's going to be different. You know, Mm -hmm. it reminds me, speaking of mom and daddy and them, uh, of a child that's having a fight with a sibling and says, I'll tell mama, she'll fix you. Mama comes, you tell, and guess who mama fixes? (laughs) Mm Hmm. You, yeah. you thought Mama's going to take your side, and Mama took the other side. What you running in here tattling for? Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. or in a more adult kind of world, perhaps, somebody that takes, sues somebody and thinks that the court's going to take their side, and it turns out they lose their suit. <laughs> yes. They were not right. They were in the wrong. So... Kind of a Judge yeah. Judy moment, more like than the real courtroom. <laughs> you know, I've you ever I've watched that a little bit. I didn't watch it much, but I don't know. Pastoral visiting in the rural South. You walk in, they're either watching their story, yeah. or they're watching Judge Judy or something, and they're not going to turn it off just because the preacher showed up. Some of them, yeah. and so you just sit there and watch it with them. So, what well, mm-hmm. I would see that occasionally back in China Grove, North Carolina, and uh, Miss Miss Libby loved to watch ju- whatever the version of Judge Judy was in their yeah, 80s. at the time. And mm-hmm. I recall very well, somebody's just astounded that she, it was pointed out to him he was in the wrong in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> and the judgment <laughs> was going against him. Well, that's the situation there. Yeah. Reversal. And then... The latter part of this text, 21 through 24, Yahweh speaks. Uh, first part is Moses, as uh, Amos talking on behalf of God. The latter part, Yahweh speaks and says, what do you think I want? <laughs> Not elaborate ceremony and, and all of this stuff. But here's the key. I want to say this very clearly. God has, there's nothing wrong with good worship. There's nothing That's wrong not with sacrificial yeah. generosity. Mm-hmm. And I have, I've heard people use this to talk against the kind of worship they don't like. Right. You know, that's not the point here. The mm-hmm. point is elaborate worship for the purpose of displaying one's own religiosity right. as opposed to worship that honors and serves God. And he says all of that yeah. doesn't mean anything without justice and righteousness, justice being fair procedure in relationship mm-hmm. between people, and yeah. righteousness, I think best understood in this context as having your heart right <laughs> mm-hmm. with God, yeah. internal kind of motivation for what you do. Yeah. And, and, um, that's that's where he's get what he's really getting at, and I'm thinking 
as I would ponder pro- preaching this with a congregation, the question becomes, who is your audience? This is, this is where mm-hmm. it gets down to for me. Who is your audience? I've sometimes uh, asked that uh, when in consultation sometimes preachers. I said, who are you talking to with this sermon? Are you talking to the people sitting right in front of you? Or are you talking to your professors or your classmates mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. colleagues? I mean, who are you talking to? Well, in the same sense, when we create this worship, are we doing it to impress others? Or are we worshiping? Is God our audience? Who is our audience as we come into worship? And secondly, mm-hmm. How does your worship not only glorify God, but um, educate the the worshipers, encourage them, us, toward justice and righteousness? I think that's the key as we analyze this piece. Yeah. Well, back to your opening analogy about, you know, kind of missing the point. Yeah. Um, yeah, even worship. But, Sacred, holy hour of the week. I love it. I tell my folks often, I think y'all know, I really love coming to church. I have all my life since yeah. I was a kid. But yeah, you can dress all that up, and you can have a great choir, and you can have singing, and you can, you know, the preacher can wax eloquent, or in the church of my childhood, he can wax hot, you know, and, and things get going. But if that is... I guess your hope, your salvation, if that's, you know, if that's the whole thing and there's no justice, there's no righteousness. Yeah, it's all a bunch of pshaw. It's like, what what does that matter? And I probably have been so, but I'm also aware of, um, you know, uh, some (laughs) folks I know that, man, it's all about the emotion of the of the service, and it's all about the excitement, and it's all about, you know, this and that. Um, and you can get all caught up in that. Yep. But when when we walk away from worship, in what ways are we changed, affected, encouraged? What have I learned? Well, what will I do? Those are great questions. Yeah, and one of the, you know, from the other, from another perspective, from where I come from, the liturgical mm-hmm. perspective is mm-hmm. doing the right right. Yeah, you know, making sure you do it just right. That sermon, uh, you know, a, a story from from my past of getting mm-hmm. all worried that the Presbyterians and UCC weren't doing the the communion right in a joint <laughs> celebration, and the Lord spoke yeah. to me and said, "Delmer, shut up." <laughs> You know, I was getting all waxed because they weren't liturgically yeah. correct. It's yeah. important to do, if you're going to do a thing, do it right. And there's do a it reason right. it's do done it that way. Yeah. And But oh, the yeah. question you ask yourself underneath it is, does it glorify God and does it edify mm-hmm. the believers? Yeah. And if you're just doing it so that you can check it off on the list that I did it right, but nobody's getting anything out of it, and you're yeah. not really worried about whether God likes it or not, you're not orienting people's hearts and minds toward God, yeah. you're kind of wasting your time. And particularly if it doesn't flow out as you leave that space into justice and righteousness. So. Uh, the ver- the psalm that goes with this is a short one, five verses. It's actually pretty much the same thing as Psalm 40, verses 13 through 17. Mm-hmm. 
It's a prayer for deliverance. I, I think it's attached to this Amos text because of the first few verses of, of Amos in which, you know, the person goes in and, and gets chased by the wild animals and bitten by the snake yeah. and all of that and the recognition. <laughs> what what's, yeah. fascinates me is the double wish, which we don't do much in modern times. We, we do it. We just don't acknowledge it. We don't pray it. We just feel it. Lord, save me and kick my enemy's butt, you know. <laughs> Lord, bless me, and if you want to punish them and make their mm-hmm. life bad, or as my daddy would have put it, said, rain on my land and give that feller a drought if you don't mind. Yeah, there you go. The, in, in, the imprecatory nature of several <laughs> places in the Psalms, yeah, we don't, yeah. But there, it's, it's kind of like, save me and, and then intercessory prayer and then it refrain of back to you know bless the lord and bless me and all that so that yeah. sort of ties in there thessalonians I, yeah go ahead I, oh i gotta say <laughs> i was watching some old movies last night and uh i'll drag up an old matthew mcconaughey movie <laughs> almost any time you, you remember the movie mud i do he was in and uh, a couple of boys out on the mississippi river and they find him and it goes through all this and he's killed a fellow and uh, the the guy the guy that he killed, his daddy and his brother are after him, and they've hired this whole gang of rascals. And there's this great scene in the motel room where all the henchmen are gathered, and Joe Don Baker is playing the daddy. And uh, he comes in, and he says, "All right, everybody, stand up. Y'all gather around here in a circle, okay? Everybody gather around. Now I want you to join hands and take a knee." And they all they get down, and he said, "We're fixing to pray." And we're going to ask God to take the life of this evil man that has killed my son. <laughs> and uh, only he said it a whole lot better. But, uh, yeah, that, that whole aspect of sometimes we just don't say it. We're yeah. thinking it. Yeah. But, uh, that was a great scene where Joe Don Baker, he prayed it. Yeah, we, yeah, we think we're, we're, we modern kind folks. We think it without praying it. They just went yeah. ahead and prayed it. So yeah. we get into Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen, and I, you know, this is one that's been used to, I think, you know, buttress some notions about rapture and what's going to happen mm-hmm. when Jesus comes back, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to get into those things. I do. I want to address the issue. What is it that? Why does Paul? feel a need to talk to the Thessalonians about this. And it's because um, the early church had an expectation that Jesus' return was so imminent that it was going to happen before they died. They really thought he'd be any day now. And so as a little bit of time went on, the issue of those who, quote, died in the Lord... Well, they're dead now. What's going to happen? Because they they died before Jesus they came back. It. They're going to yeah. miss it. And and also Thessalonica and other places is they dealing with a Gentile audience, much more influenced by the kind of Greek philosophy than 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 Hebrew notions of resurrection. I mean, the whole business of resurrection versus um, immortality of the soul. Now, the Greek had a notion of the soul as uh, encased in the body and that it occupied that, but it was eternal. So the question is, what happens to the soul? And so this whole answer that Christians had 
about resurrection was a difficult gap, and we still have trouble with it. You know, if you have this we conversation do. with with your average church member and um, and other people, theologically, mm-hmm. we'll find that that the Greek notion of the immortality of the soul is much more common than, than Christian orthodoxy about the resurrection of the body. So this is what he's dealing with, this real kind, key question. They were really serious. What happens if the Lord, when the Lord comes back to those who died? So everything he says here is related to that particular issue. Um, first of all, he says the uh, whatever happens to the 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 those folks is in God's hands. Right. <laughs> the God's dead, they dead. are in, the dead in Christ will rise first. Yeah. The dead are in Christ. Yeah. Where are they? Well, I don't know, but they're in Christ. And he basically is assuring them that your Brahma and your brother and your loved ones who loved loved the Lord and died will be taken, will be received into Christ just like the rest of us. Actually, they'll go first. You know, Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. (laughs) And so that's the assurance. This is meant... um, as insurance, uh, I'm not going to go any more deeply into trying what? to sort it out. He's trying to assure no. them that those folks who are dead will also be in Christ when Christ returns. Mm-hmm. Now, for us, two thousand years later, that's an even more important kind of assurance. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And this is yeah. meant. This text was meant to encourage. Notice it says, "Therefore, encourage one another." Why yeah. have we chosen? To frighten people with it. Yeah, why? It, it, it doesn't say, therefore, scare the shit out of each other with these words. Get everybody to, you know, straighten up straighten and fly up, right. Straighten up, fly right. I, you, know. you know, and I remember a song that when I was a teenager and then early in college that evangelical youth groups were singing, I wish we had all been ready. It it was the evangelical uh, youth anthem of the 1970s. And, you know, one standing in the field, and I wish you'd been around warning people to get ready, and then they'd tell you how to get ready and all this. And mm-hmm. some of that's important. We'll talk about that with Matthew. But this is an encouraging text that says, don't worry about those who have died in the Lord. They will be a part of the eternal kingdom the messianic banquet the kingdom of heaven just like those of us who are still alive when the lord returns that's mm-hmm. all it's meant here yeah and, absolutely and you don't it's i don't think it's appropriate to extrapolate from this text some kind of vision of exactly what's going to happen at the end time it just doesn't no, bear the weight we don't know and it it is to me again. Let's go back to. I don't want to miss the point here. Yeah. What is the point? Yeah. God doesn't leave anybody behind. Exactly. That was what they were worried yeah. about. You know, God doesn't leave anybody right. behind. And uh, for those of you that might have worked with that Revelation text last week, uh, that was essentially kind of that vision. You yeah. get this countless multitude from yeah. all of time. God doesn't leave anybody behind. I think that's what yeah. Paul's trying that's to, Paul, to say. Paul's here. assuring them. 
Yeah. Uh, Only thing now I could say now uh, about uh, I wish we'd all been ready, the song. I, <laughs> I, I, I cannot count the number of times I've sung it and yeah. strummed the guitar to it over the years. All I wish is that uh, I'd have had the copyright on that like Larry Norman. <laughs> uh, one of the early, few dollars, early, few dollars earned, in your pocket early leaders <laughs> in, uh, in contemporary Christian music. And, uh, yeah. Boy, a few uh, dollars nickel, in your pocket on that one. Yeah, yeah. nickel a turn on yeah. that one. Good stuff. So turning to Matthew 25, 1 mm-hmm. through 13, as I said, Lent, the three Sundays, uh, the last three Sundays in uh, before Advent, uh, you, you're right here in chapter 25 of Matthew, do well to, you know, read it carefully, all the chapter, and maybe pull out the commentary a little more depth because you're going to have three Sundays in a row here. Mm-hmm. And it, two parables and a vision of the coming of the Son of Man. This is the first parable. Um, ten maidens. I like the, the nice numbers here. Five wise and five foolish. I'm not going to go too deeply into... Um, first century wedding customs the the basic idea here is that there's the wedding and then there's the banquet and the bridegroom comes and you wait and he is escorted in and they're waiting for him to get there so they can escort him into the banquet and he was delayed now for matthew uh with his again the same issue in thessalonians uh by the time matthew wrote this people were saying he ain't come back yet. Where is he? Where Where is yeah. he? A taking yeah. of the Lord's return. So this is a little bit, this whole chapter has some issues of delay. And he's saying, you can't give up. This is the first message here is don't give up just because he's not back yet. It's got delayed, but he's coming. And you can't give up. You can't wait. Uh, and so the second the second thing here, um, to remember is that parables always move from the reasonable to the not reasonable. You know, you see a parable, and, and it's not an allegory, so it's most of them parables talk about what is reasonable, and then they, like a joke, they go unreasonable, they, they take a twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are two kinds of, basically two kinds of parables. One is where you think a bad outcome is going to happen, and then the surprise is a grace, right. a surprise, graceful turn. For example, the best one to think about is the prodigal son, where everybody would assume that the father would reject the prodigal mm-hmm. and applaud the elder brother. Well, that has a turn. And an unbelievable, unreasonable turn toward grace. Yeah. The other kind of parable, and they're they're just as prominent, is one that I'd call a cause and effect, and it's a judgment parable. Mm-hmm. Basically, more Hebrew scripture prophet kind of thing. Yeah. If you keep on with this behavior, this is the effect it's going to have. Even though, like Amos, you think it's leading this way. Yep. You think this is going to bring you a, a good outset, a gap come. Yep. Yeah. And so this is a parable that is a cause and effect that not having the oil in your lamp will lead to you being excluded from mm-hmm. the banquet. Now, you can press that. Anytime you try to press an analogy or a parable too hard, you got you begin to have logical issues. So the, 
trying to sort out for us. So what is the oil in the lamp? What does it mean to be ready? And I think it comes down to a question of leaving, le- leading a faithful life in the face of hope deferred. Uh, hope deferred is the way I refer to it. You could call it things haven't come out the way you thought yet. Um, you've you've been really good Christian all your life, and yet <laughs> things haven't worked out yet. Do you keep being faithful, or do you just throw up your hands, yeah. or do you just sort of skate? Well, I'm waiting. I'm here, but <laughs> what is the oil in the lamp? How do you make yeah. a a um, faithful life. That's the question yeah. then and the question now. And the answer may be different in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And then what does it mean to live a faithful Christian life when the fulfillment of our hope mm-hmm. is delayed? Absolutely. Uh, for me, and now think about 21st century life, and what resonates is five of these kind of, I guess, hoping, expecting, uh, you know, somebody else is going to take care of them and yeah. bring any oil. Yeah. I'll get some off somebody else. It's, it's somebody else's responsibility or the failure to, to, to accept responsibility. That's such a, a rampant way of thinking, it yeah. seems to me, in our culture. Uh, turn it in its most negative expression, it's not my fault. Yeah. It's not my fault. When uh, we bear responsibility, my life is my responsibility. In fact, my life's the only one I have any say or control over at all. And there might be a sidewise way into it. I'm not sure. And we have to ask ourselves as we look at the life of the church, uh, we have to be careful as we try to find ways to be relevant mm-hmm. <laughs> in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Are, are we wanting to be relevant because we don't trust the gospel? Mm-hmm. We don't trust the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't trust uh, faithful living and a generous loving to, to, mm-hmm. to be what we need. And we try to jazz it up maybe, in whatever direction we may want to jazz it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say I'm I'm, opposed. I'm not very good at uh, doing exciting things in worship, and, and that's where the, I'm kind of a plotter when it comes to parish life. But Liturgical dance is not your... Not my strong daily point, no. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it is important to ask ourselves, you know, do we is our lamp full of the oil? Of the of the gospel, the good news, and I I don't think you can ever go wrong with an inclusive, loving God who cares for everyone, and we try to live that out in every way we can. That's that's a full lamp, full lamp, and an empty lamp is one that's just sort of coasting, waiting for God to take care of it, everything. Yeah. So. Uh, it's that ever ever persistent dynamic, and you could call it a tension. Those of you that know, we look for tension in the text. Um, between God will take care of it, all of it, but we have a part to play. We 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 have we are engaged in this life. We are seeking to live the Christ life. So where's that tension fall? 
and keeping your lamp oiled is, uh, I think, a good way to do it. And, and, good way to think about and it. And, uh, and another another thing involved here is: Do we behave, quote unquote, uh, because of a fear of being left out of the banquet, because mm. of fear of punishment, yeah. or because it has become a natural part of who we are? I remember I left Nashville in 2001 or two, so it's before Mm -hmm. then, all south of town on, uh, I can't remember the name of it, something, Spring Hill, Spring something. Spring, yeah, Cool Springs. Cool Springs, and I was in Mm -hmm. the mall. I hate malls. I hated that. It's sometime around Christmas, and being me, I had put off uh, Christmas shopping, and so I was doomed and condemned to an afternoon at the ball trying to buy something for my wife and, <laughs> and a few others. I got what Bubba. I deserved, <laughs> and I was there trying to get this done. And I was sitting on a bench trying to relax. And you have one, you know, this the waiting, trying to catch my breath and figure out if I was going to be able to get something that would make up for not getting what I knew she really wanted because they were all out or something, whatever. (laughs) And I saw this little boy coming along with his sister, and the mama was dragging him along. He had cowboy boots on, and he was kicking his sister, and he was kicking at his mama, and his mama was doing what she could short of corporal punishment to get him under control. And finally she says, Willie, there's Santa Claus. Do you want him to see you looking like this? You want get anything if he behaved like this mm-hmm. he looked up to santa claus and he looked at mommy and said well i'll behave until he can't see me anymore yeah <laughs> and he did he walked That's perfectly as as just, last, and then yeah. they got out of sight of the santa display and he kicked his sister again and mama went Ooh. and i thought about how many of us are like that mm. we'll behave as long as we think that there's some negative end if we don't. And how many of us have lived, have been able to, at various points, live in the Lord, as we put it in old evangelical terms, or live a Christian mm-hmm. life to the point that we forget about it? That is, we forget about punishment or reward. Mm-hmm. We forget about if God's watching or not. And mm-hmm. we just do it because it has become natural. It has become our nature. That's right. A nature that's been transformed. And I hopefully little Willie's grown up by now and he's <laughs> don't walk around. It, it, you know, if he kept on doing that for a few years, eventually he's gonna kick somebody bigger. I than don't him. know. The the adults and us, how many how many you when you have a sudden slowdown on the interstate, you can pretty well guess somebody saw something that looks like a patrol car. Yeah, <laughs> We're going to slow it. down because we, we might blinch. get caught. Yeah. All right, Joshua, quickly, uh, aside, uh, Joshua 24, 1 through 3a and 14 through 21. This is a summation story. Um, the part left out, uh, four, 3b through 13, is just more rehearsal of salvation mm-hmm. history here. Mm-hmm. It basically Joshua saying this is how we got where we are. Yeah. I think um because of this we will now therefore, you know, it's that kind of story. Rehearse the past mm-hmm. and as a result of this, this is what we do in the future. Um so he ta- what I really like is it talks about Abraham and um sorry, the name is 
Terah, Abraham, Nahor. Nahor, that's the word I'm yeah. looking for. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he talks about they left their land and those other gods. This is targeted, you know, and they left those behind. They came to this land, and now here we are. And God has done all, Yahweh's done all these things for us. We're going to this land across this river, and there are going to be other people with other gods, and who are we going to serve? As for me, at my house, we will serve the Lord. As I read this text, uh, I had also had a conversation with someone locally, a good friend of mine that goes to the mm-hmm. Episcopal Church, who is concerned about the rise of Christian nationalism among some mm-hmm. of the folks he knows at the golf course and a few other places. And he says, what's this business about oh, Christian ex- American exceptional. He was confused about why mm-hmm. they thought, because he's a good Episcopalian, never thought much about this, that that this is that this is somehow different than other countries in the world in terms of God's favor. And I was looking at this and I was thinking, well, you know, when the Puritans came, they came across the water, and they left behind not only Roman Catholicism but the Church of England and all. This. They came to a new land which has occupied by other people with other gods. And they built a place where they were going to serve the mm-hmm. God who brought them from the, across the water to this new place. And then you, you get a lot of later in the early 1800s, a new country which has thrown off the king of England and all of that. And if you, Nathan Hatch in particular, I think it was, that wrote a piece about uh, democratization of American Christianity and how all these made-in-America denominations that cut ties with any creedalism, confessionalism, bishops, and all this, and how they would read this as our fathers left that other land and those foreign gods, those old gods, and came to this new land and served the Lord in this place and the question and I can see where that evolved and what Joshua's getting at as these folks go into this new land is to say this is who we are and our identity as a people and are we going to be these this people or are we going to forget what God has done for us and <sighs> pondering if I were trying to preach this in a congregation what does it mean? I think the key question is, what does it mean to choose to serve in this time, in this place? Is it exclusive? That does it say, well, there's us and there's them, and we're just going to stay amongst us, and we're right and everybody else is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we got to stay pure and separate. That's where a lot of American separatism came from, you know don't deal with we don't drink drink and we don't chew and we don't mess with them that do that's yeah or does it mean involving yourself in the world that is not committed to christianity in the way that perhaps our church is but engaging with them in a loving and kind manner while knowing who you are in their midst and how do we do that? How do we, how do I, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. How do we do that in a place 
that not everybody shares the views that we do? Do we ha- do they have to share our views for us to love them appropriately? It's it's a fascinating it, place to it's figure a big question. out. It's a big question. They're trying to sort that out in uh, Israel and Gaza, and yeah. we're trying to sort it out. I'm intrigued at the the sort of the middle part of this. Joshua really makes them make a real commitment right. because he does the whole thing and, yeah. it, and he he wraps it up. Oh, we'll serve the Lord. We'll serve the Lord in verse 19. No, you no, can't you serve the Lord. And I've I've heard some preachers that do this very, very well. Most, yeah. most of them are some of my friends in the black church tradition. And I was sitting uh, listening one time and the preacher exhorting everybody yes we will yes we will and the preacher said no you ain't no you ain't you ain't gonna do that you're not listening you better listen to what you're saying and he goes around for another around no we'll serve we'll serve no you you can't do that you ain't joshua said no you can't serve the lord look what's gonna happen you come to the lord and then you turn back around it's gonna be worse than it was and he makes them say it at least a couple of times no we promise we will we will serve the Lord, and then that's when let, this let, renewal covenant comes. Yeah, let me have the let me have the puppy, Daddy. Will you feed it? Will you take care of it? Yes, I would. No, you won't. No, I you know won't. you won't. I know what's going to happen <laughs> with that dog. That's what that. Yeah. That's what Joshua said. No, yeah. you won't. And they're really yeah. laying it on heavier and heavier. This yeah. is what it means. It's not a. It's nothing to be taken on lightly. You don't do this lightly. What is it in the, the book, the Book of Common Prayer wedding service? Not to be entered into lightly, but uh-huh. reverently and in the fear of God. Yeah. And this is a covenant. This is a covenant, yeah. and it's not to be said. So, yeah, sure. I, I, I'll serve Sign the Lord. Up. Sign me up. No, it's not that. All right. Careful, careful. It's rich. It's a rich text. There's plenty to work with here, and so if the apocalyptic. Uh, little Lent kind of texts leading up to Advent aren't for you, then, uh, yeah, you probably want to stick with Joshua and, uh, you know, the great stories that are going to continue for these next couple of weeks. But whichever way you go, uh, our hope and prayer for all of you, preachers, teachers, pastors, uh, however and whenever you present, is that God will indeed bless your work. Do it. Don't be. I started to put this, I started to make a meme out of this today, and then I decided it was just mean-spirited to do so. <laughs> but an ad came across my Facebook and somebody else trying to bring technology into sermon preparation, so on, so on, and the tagline was, and you'll be able to produce effortless sermons. And I'm going, I don't think I want, uh, uh, yeah. an effortless sermon is worth saying. Why, why would I want to not put the effort in? So we, we, we pray for your effort, pastors and preachers, and we pray it's going to be bounteous and everything's going to be good. We'll be back next time. Uh, and uh, Bubba, thanks for leading us today. Not much left for us to do, Bubba, other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps, performed by Half.Cool. We go out today with the theme from The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly by legendary film composer Ennio Morricone. (laughs) 